Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. One of the most asked questions I get from you is how do I manage the personal professional rules of engagement on social media? Five years ago, if I was giving you this advice, we may have stayed behind the scenes of a corporate account. But right now in 2021, the public want to see the politicians, the policymakers and the decision makers and subject matter experts on social media. So coming up in the show, we're going to deep dive into this very topic. We're going to ask, do we really need to show up as ourselves on the social media front line? What are the rules of engagement on personal versus professional? I interview Lucy Kadova, who works as a press officer with an MEP in the European Parliament, and previously she worked for the Council of Europe, and this is a topic that she and I are going to discuss. So if social media from a personal perspective is a challenge in your workplace, you want to stay tuned. In today's column, I want to answer the question, do we really have to show up as ourselves on social media? Some of you listening right now might be shouting at your phone or your desktop saying, no, Joanne, we're not going to, we never have, and we never will. But to help you answer this question and maybe to help you put in some rules of engagement, I've set down some criteria to help you answer the question, should you show up as yourself on social media in a professional capacity? So the first question I want to ask you is, what is your job? What is your job within a government or public sector agency? If you're a marketer or a comms officer, very often you will be used to being behind the scenes. But is there an opportunity for you to maybe be the voice or the face for some lower level comms that you want to disseminate? Might you go live if nobody else is willing to do it? Might you be the face of stories on Instagram? And might you even brave the TikTok platform? So think about the relevance of your job. If you're a subject matter expert and you have particular specialism in in an area that the public are interested in, then I would definitely say that you should be showing up on Twitter and on LinkedIn as yourself. We saw throughout the COVID-19 pandemic, more public health specialists, researchers and scientists join Twitter for that very reason. Now, if you're a senior leader, then you are at the top of the decision making chain. And when it comes to government and public sector, trust and transparency are really important ingredients. And so I would argue that it's not okay for a senior leader to hide behind a corporate account that just has a logo and that has no visibility, you certainly should be leveraging social media to reach and to engage the public. And I have a great example coming up later on in the show. The next question I would ask you is, how is the information that you have within your organization or department 
currently being disseminated to the public? Is it strictly through corporate channels? Is it strictly text or photo-based or blog or press release-based? Social media is about people. It's about that human-to-human connection. And if you want to achieve that richness of the personalization of engagement, then really you've got to ask yourself, how can we do it if we don't have a face going front of screen? The next question I want to ask you is, are you engaging in traditional media and communications? And is that your safe place? That is more a controlled environment. However, as we know, once a press release uh, goes out to a journalist, they will craft the story as they see fit. Similarly, if they're attending a press conference, they will ask the questions uh, on behalf of the public and again, reporting it as how they see fit from whatever angle or hook they decide. But you've got to think about how media and PR now shows up in the world of digital. It shows up with sound bites from video and audio. It also shows up as behind the scenes content. And it also shows up as you answering questions from the public and not just from journalists. It's also a matter of fact that we need you to step up as a person, as a human and not behind the corporate logo to correct the record and to stop the spread of misinformation. Another question, so if you don't speak, who is going to speak on behalf of the organization? Yes, of course, you can show up on video, on a corporate channel, but really, what about you leveraging your personal accounts or an account owned by the channel, but in your name, for the purposes of the office. We see this in, you know, um, mayors of cities. We see it as heads of departments and major organizations where the account is owned by the organization, but for the tenure of the president, the CEO, the director, the head of department, they will step in and their face will be on it. I think that is a good middle ground. So here's an example of an individual using social media for professional capacity. And this is Daniel Andrews, and he is the premier of the state of Victoria in Australia. And he's on TikTok. So you can see that the TikTok account is in his name. It's a verified account. His username is Daniel.Andrews. And his bio says premier of Victoria. The account has reached over 600,000 people with its follower base and many of the videos are exceeding 1 million views. So here we have a premier, a head of state, leveraging his own name, his own person and political personality, but to benefit the office of the premier of the state of Victoria. Okay, so my question is, who owns that TikTok account? Was that TikTok account set up on behalf of the Premier and owned by him? So when his tenure ends, will he have that follower base? Or does this account, uh, is it owned actually by the state of Victoria and the government? That is the question that you need to ask yourself when you're talking about personal versus professional. Maybe I will go ahead and ask the state of Victoria that question. Maybe they'll come back to me if I drop an email 
or a DM. But I thought it was a great example to share in the show. And I totally would uh, agree and be a proponent for senior leaders and political and public figures being the face of social networks and not hiding behind corporate accounts. I saw it. Uh, thanks to Caitlin Jinks for, for sharing it on LinkedIn. And I thought it was a great example to share with all of you. And finally, the last question in terms of creating your criteria for personal versus professional, we got to think about content formats. As I said in the last episode, text and photo-based content is not going to cut it with the public anymore. They want to see threads on Twitter. They want to engage with you on live streams. They want behind-the-scenes behind content from stories or indeed TikTok. So, Mixing up your content format and showing personality and giving people a little bit more than the headline and the speech or the line to take is what's really required. But set down the rules of engagement, answer these questions and then develop a policy. I promise you one thing that will happen is that if you step out on social in a personal capacity for the purposes of your work, the engagement is going to increase. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's consulting segment, I'm handing it over to Ravi from Agorapulse, who has a brilliant question around personal versus professional on social media and company policies. Hi, Joanne. It's Ravi from Agora Pulse. Um, my question today relating to social media in the workplace is, should a company have control over your personal social media accounts? So you have your company social media accounts, but as an employee, should the company have a say in how I run those accounts? And also, should they have control in terms of what I can and cannot say on those channels. Any advice say will be great. Keep up the great work, loving the show, and I look forward to hearing your answer. So we all know that companies and organizations should have social media policies as to how staff engage with social media while in the workplace. Now this policy may extend to how staff engage on behalf of the organization on social media during the course of their work. And remember, the policy provides the boundaries and the rules of engagement, and it makes those rules really, really clear. So having a policy is important. Now, specifically to Ravi's question, and I think it's a brilliant one, should individuals have a social media policy for their use of various platforms in a professional context. If I think about me, I run my own company, right? So I make the rules. And of course, like anyone on social, I could break some rules. I have actually set some rules of engagement for myself. And I'll share them with you and you can take them if you want. So I have this, this three-point rule for social and that is, if what I post on social is something that I would be happy to say on national radio, 
happy to say on this podcast or in a boardroom of my peers or clients, and thirdly, in front of my mother, then they are my rules of engagement. I'm happy that I go out on those points and with that content. So you're kind of creating your own social media boundaries, which are really important because every individual has a different opinion on social. But now let's take it a step further. And Ravi wants to know if social media policies for individuals in a professional capacity should have any ownership or connection to their place of work. This is really going into a new arena. Let me just give you an example. The Washington Post were one of the first media outlets in the world to change their social media policy and to state that any staff that engaged on social media that complained to utility company, for example, or who expressed a political viewpoint would be maybe in contravention of that newspaper's social media policy. Why? Because they introduced a clause that stated that if you work for us, and even if you're using your own social networks, what you say on those social networks are connected back to us. And therefore, you might bring our good name into disrepute and or you may be compromising your position as an independent journalist reporting for our paper, but expressing opinion on the social networks. That was a bit of a game changer. And so a policy needs to state if staff are allowed to express opinion relating to their work. I think that's really, really important because if you listen to the previous segment of the show, I was encouraging staff to step out in a professional capacity on behalf of the organization that they work for to engage a public. So I do believe that there are there needs to be clarity and also specifics around social media rules of engagement for individuals who are using their organization and their platform for the purposes of work. I just think that it needs to be clear. I also think it's good practice that we as individuals should have rules of engagement for us, a bit like my three-point rule. Now, what is important to say is that you need to provide your team with training. You need to say, if you say this, and it completely is in contradiction to our policy or our particular lines, then, you know, we could uh, have a public difference of opinion that then may have media and the public questioning and asking us to validate our positions and particular things. So, Ravi, I do think that we need some lines in policy that relates to personal use of social media when you are leveraging it for professional gain. Long answer to a great question, but I hope that helped. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. 
Join our Membership Academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies and organisational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by Lucy Cadova, who is a press officer at the European Parliament working for an MEP. Lucy previously worked at the Council of Europe and a former speaker at the Public Sector Digital Marketing Summit in Dublin. She's a savvy social media and communications specialist in the political and public sector sphere. In this conversation, we talk about the difference between an institutional voice and the voice of a public figure on social media. Lucy, thank you so much for joining me on the Public Sector Marketing Show. It's great to see you, albeit virtually. Hi, Joanne. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. So you have six years experience working in the European institutions in Brussels and you know a thing or two about building an online presence and building a professional and personal voice. But for those who don't know you, uh, give a little bit of context about your background and your work to date. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, uh, as you said, it's, it's my sixth year here in Brussels. I uh, was responsible at one of the EU institutions for corporate communications, so on behalf of the institution, uh, for more than four years. And uh, last year I changed to the European Parliament. I was asked to um, work for a Czech MEP um, to do his press and communication. So I, I switched the teams and I became more, more um, working on the personal side of things. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, as anyone can imagine, it's uh, it's really a shift. Um, when when you're working for an organization or for an institution, you're always thinking, um, how do I how do I make the institution or make the messages interesting? How do I personalize it? Because all the marketing books they tell you, oh, you have to put a face on it, but you're not a brand. You cannot you cannot hire a celebrity. So we all know the struggles. And um, I think, especially in the council, we had we had great communication strategy. That was that was a huge work of my colleagues um, that have done it. That that really defined the tone of voice. So you know, it, it was much easier to say, okay, we want we are a nonpartisan organization. Like I say, many many public sector organizations. So we don't speak on behalf of the politicians. We speak on behalf of the member states. Um, our tone of voice has to be really informative, uh, factual and trustworthy, which is, I think, super important, especially now uh, with the whole COVID misinformation. And, and you've done many, many talks and um, content about that that I've seen. So um, probably your followers know all that. Um, and but then on. So you we had this great definition. But on the other hand, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, you always struggle in terms of in terms of looking for um, who who is the speaker, who do you put that, and on behalf, um, who is the who is the authority? Um, so 
And if you find a person, if you find, in, for instance, in the EU institution, who is the person who knows the most, who has worked on it, why, what if they don't want to show up on the camera? What if they are really camera shy? Um, so you have, you have all these different things. And I always naively thought, well, the moment I work for, for an actual person, all of my worries are going to be sorted. Um, and then, you know, like I very quickly, I realized when you work for a person, this is all you get, you know? Um, so you have to work with that person no matter what. Um, you have to find out who that person is. What are the issues that uh, he or she is working on? Um, what is the what is the what is the core? What is where they want to put their messages on? And how does it relate to the to the political side? So, I mean, there is a lot of excitement, um, but it's far from being struggle free. I think that's uh, you know that's that's a, that's a very quick summary of where I came from and where I'm now. And of course, you've been managing press and communications, probably remotely, like most workers right across the world. What particular challenges has COVID faced or, in fact, has it presented any unique opportunities from a comms perspective? I mean, um, I think what we all know and what we've struggled with is like this everything just looks the same everything is like a person's living room or white wall or you know the corporate um, plaster wall um and it's just like it's really how to make it interesting i mean you have really nice background um so um and I'm, i think like with politicians anything about anything can be picked on i mean we we in here in brussels in the brussels bubble there are a lot of internal jokes going on on the Brussels Twitter, you know, taking screenshots of public figures or of anyone EU related speaking and seeing like, okay, this person has, uh, you know, like a stack of plastic bottles or like unthrown trash or, you know, like you can, you can easily Google, you can easily Google about anything found in people's houses and backgrounds. So, I mean, to be, to be a bit cautious about that and also to sort of, break the format um, because I think we've all done more than a year now online and I have to admit I myself struggle a lot of times um, you know trying to trying to follow I mean we've seen that I would say and politicians especially they like to talk in in any normal circumstances and online they just they just can't find their break you know and uh, unless you want to be really the bad guy and mute them, which of course is a bit tricky, uh, they could go. They could go on forever. <laughs> so, um, so those those are I think like you know how to make it interesting, how to make it stand out, and how to also make the most of it so that it's not just another webinar and uh, just another show online. Um, and on the on the other hand, the opportunities. I think it really made us go a bit out of the comfort zone, uh, even though we were all really confined in our, within our comfort zone. Um, I mean, be inventive, try to think of, you know, if I cannot go and meet the person I'm working with uh, to take a picture, uh, how do I describe to whoever is around him? How do you say, how do you take the right picture? 
for Instagram or for you know for uh, Twitter fleets. How because at the beginning I used to assume okay it's, it's clear like people are going to take multiple pictures horizontally vertically and uh, it's just going to be it and then I got pictures I couldn't use so. Um, um and yeah and also making use of other of the exteriors um so for instance last year really convinced to um make our whole team go out and um join this well it's a virtual run but it's an actual run that but normally you would run it together uh but we could have run it at any point within two days and then we sort of did this like picture collage and it was one of our one of our most popular posts and in that period because you know it was something we did as a team even though we did it virtually and you could you could have done it because it was outside so yeah um i think that's that's an example from from the top of my head so you give some great advice there break the format i love that line it's something really tangible to take away so let's think about how reputation management and social media and going front of screen, all of the, the nervousness that individuals and politicians will have versus the value and the return that you get by showing up. Would you say that the benefits outweigh the risks when it comes to social? Definitely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the more you get out there, the more natural you get on it, you know, while while doing it. So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, um, when you tell uh, someone you're working with, or when when you know the person you're filming, you tell them, well, it's going to be live. Everybody sort of chokes, uh, and I think it's a, it's a natural instinct. But I think after you know a minute or two, you sort of relax and you realize. Well, it's actually not that bad, and and in a lot of lot of those online platforms, you see um, you see immediate response. So you could see likes, you could see hearts, and I think it really also encourages the speaker to be um, to be more engaging. Um, sometimes it can also distract, like with multitasking. But I, overall, I, I've seen. I've seen, uh, especially with with the with the people I work with, more sort of confidence because the more you do, the the better you get at it. And with the institutional voice and the public voice, have you found that any there's any difference in performance in terms of the different social networks that either or are active on? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, in um, um, I think it always helps to um, do your do your analysis of what is your audience on each channel and adapt your voice to to your audience. I mean, of course, you're not going to use the same tone of voice on LinkedIn as on TikTok or even even Twitter and Facebook. You know, though they are they are even though they seem like they're already the dinosaurs of social media they're they're still here and looks like they're going to stay and and you really have to play by the rules of the game otherwise it's not going to work so um i think also various eu institutions have 
um, have utilized the different social media channels to a greater success or not. Um, and it's also because of the nature of the institutions. Um, um, you know, if the European Parliament has done um, European election campaign and really was trying to approach first-time voters, you really have to, uh, you know, relate to them on the channels where they are. And if they are, you know, 18-year-olds, you really have to go where they are. If it's TikTok, if it's Facebook, if it's Instagram, you have to go there. And you cannot be the, you know, the odd one out, like the... We, we got a lot of research feedback. Um, we had a lot of uh, audience research done um, back at the council. And we always got the feedback that the EU institutions, it's like, you know, you have, a, you have a room of young people and all of a sudden this old guy comes and tries to talk the slang of the young people. Um, so I think this is something the institution or organization will always have to um, struggle with a bit um, and we already know that one one size doesn't fit all um, so you always have to adapt um, and I think that's the key and um, and of course depending also on your resources I don't think I don't think it makes sense to be to be on each and every single platform if it doesn't really make sense for your audience so do the one where most of your audience is and do it well and I mean, you should get you should get some results. Yeah, that's a great bit of advice. Um, I've heard some colleagues in the industry, Andrew and Pete in the UK, describe that as the ninety ten rule: put ninety percent effort into one platform and then ten percent into the others. And it's really difficult, even as social media managers, to do that. You need to be very, very strict on yourself and then you feel that you're missing out on other platforms so how has your job changed going from managing social media for an, an institutional voice with a massive audience to then stepping in and working with a member of the European Parliament uh, from the Czech Republic and then obviously communicating from his home country but also within the Brussels bubble that must have been a, a marked shift in professional versus personal, but at the same time, maintaining his professional voice, but getting his personality out there. Yeah, indeed. I mean, um, I like I like the challenge. And I mean, I, I think um, I loved my job before at the council um, and it's been great. And looking back at it, I think it's been it's been really demanding it's been sitting with one butt on five chairs um and it's been a great ride but it's been relatively safe right because you know you you've had your audiovisual team you've had your um approval process and you had all these safeguards and you had colleagues that um had an opinion or experts that you could talk to and, and then last year i jumped in into working for an mep and uh, okay he became my expert but i became my team my own team i became the cameraman i became the video editor i became the uh, subtitle master you know and you name it uh, the things that i was always like oh yeah let's send it you know give them a deadline for tomorrow at 10 in the morning and so that we can straight post it um 
So uh, yeah, of course, of course, the volume of uh, of um, of posting or of uh, you know like preparing the social media content has also decreased uh, because it's really it's really driven by 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 the MEP and his work and his activity. Um, but but yeah, so the main difference definitely is how many people I work with and also in the context where I work with. Um, on the other hand, I think the first thing I did when starting my job, um, it was sit, sit down with my boss and ask him really, okay, what do you want to do? What is the purpose? Why do you hire me? You know, and how can I help you to get where you, where, where you want to get? Um, for the moment, we have uh, we have Twitter and Facebook. We have uh, opened LinkedIn account, and and that's it for for the moment. You know, I used to used to manage five different uh, social media accounts, so it's it's refreshing to be able to focus on three. Um, but at the same time, I have to say, um, it's also a struggle as a one person show uh, to constantly look for for content to make it entertaining and also to really make it, uh, you know, like it, it's been great for me to go back to uh, the Czech Republic and to think how the Czech people might see things coming from Brussels because Czech Republic is one of the one of the countries with the lowest uh, lowest approval rate of, of the EU. So it's the mo one of the more uh, Eurosceptic countries. Um, so and and then you you see that I was used to saying increase in thousands over a week. And, and here we celebrate, you know, if it's 10, we, we celebrate every new follower. And, and you really feel how hard, uh, hard earned, hard work um, that has been. So, um, so yeah, I mean, of course, resources, uh, being able to focus, having, having, doing, having, doing, having done everything alone. Um, and also not being not being in 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 a team of communicators and trying to explain okay we have to be first or if not we then we just retweet this person and add your uh, add your uh, five cents to it um, and and okay I think it's it's a work in progress and I think uh, my new team they're starting to they're starting to understand that I get very, very irritating if I don't get an immediate response. And that when I say we have to tweet now, it means really now. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, um, it's very different. Um, in, terms of, in terms of language, I wanted to give you this example. Um, for instance, um, we have communicated or uh, on behalf of, of uh, my MEP, uh, he tweeted um, something about when the EU accepted new, uh, adopted new sanctions against Belarus. And, you know the issues there. Um, and my MEP tweeted um, red card for Lukashenko. And I was just like, it was such a great moment that you know I could be behind this account that can say something like this. I think. Um, you know, it's, it would be unimaginable for an institution to say, hey, Lukashenko, red card, you know, stop, stop what you're doing, out. Um, so 
so I think this this just like leads you to realizing um, as a as a as a public figure you can do that you can really do that and you can be bold. Of course, you have to you have to strongly believe in in what you're saying and stand behind what you say. Um, but it's it's liberating in a sense. Um, whereas the institution, the role is totally different. You can never say that. You can just say the EU adopted the next sanction in Belarus, and then your president, if he says anything like this red card or you know anything that is very strong and political. Um, so I, w I was really excited <laughs> about this. Uh, because, because really, for for many years, I had to tone everything down and stick to the facts. The you know, these are the facts. This is where you find more information. This is why we do that. Um, so, so that is that is one of the one of the main differences. That's a great example, and the impact that a human being has on other human beings on social media, you've just really summed it up. Do you think then that that human voice should be used more by public figures, even within their professional context? Um, I guess it really depends um, what type of public figure you are. Are you an elected official? Uh, because then it sort of is your job to to uh respond and to um to give to be the opinion leader to be the politician it is your job to to be there um if you i don't know um i'm thinking um well most of the most of the eu top jobs are politically appointed but still they do have accountability to um to the voters to the citizens and this is why this is why you see more and more that um, you know the uh, top EU leaders are more and more outspoken, and I would say in also at the right moment. But I can of course imagine that you know if you're if you're an appointed director with uh, of a board of directors with no political function, uh, sometimes it could be really strange to start commenting on political issues that are not really related to your field of work. So so everything has its limits, but um I definitely see see benefits of if you if you're really outspoken about the issues. I mean we have there is over seven hundred MEPs, uh so members of the European Parliament here in Brussels, and each of them has a voice. So if you're thinking how do I stand out? You do not stand out by commenting on every single thing the parliament adopts. Uh, every every politician has their job, their focus, their committees they're sitting on, and then their issues they're working on. So prioritize, choose the issue that is close home, that is ideally also emotional about people, uh, makes, makes a bit of the buzz, and try to find a nice catchphrase or something that you know that i don't want to say becomes viral but that has the potential of the uh of catching the eye of either the media or just the 
Twitter sphere or social media sphere. And final question, Lucy, how difficult is it to run and to manage the social networks for a politician, a public figure, when you're behind the scenes, but it is their face on the account? How do, how do you manage that from, from your point of view? Um, for me, that works really well. I, um, I mean, if you, you know, if you would ask my family and friends, they would say, oh, you love bossing people around. So uh, maybe this is why this is why it's the perfect job for me. Um, but uh, I also like to like to learn by doing. So I, I would never I would never send my boss to go, uh, you know, do do this, even if it's for charity. Try this. Uh, I don't know. Um, there is a lot of demonstrations around here or happenings and things. So I would always go first myself and see, you know, is it doable? Does it make does it make sense? Is it relate is it uh, related to the issues we're working on? And then I would go and I would send uh, send my boss, and then I would film everything after after having tried everything myself. Um, so um, I think it's ninety ninety five percent great, and then there is always this there is always this part where sometimes you you know it's it's our job and you have to do the you have to do the political thing um i would love to i would love to if we could comment on certain issues and uh, for whatever reason it is not possible i mean that's life maybe it's not possible this year it will be possible in next year when when the when the political conditions change um and i think i think there is a there, you have to take it with a pinch of salt uh, with everything you do, um, but uh, um, so far I also haven't heard any complaints about me being bossy. So I hope I will still have a job after after this interview. Uh, so yeah, um, that's it. Lucy, thank you so much, and you've given us so much food for thought and that parting thought that a social media manager really needs to lead from the front, no matter if you are managing an institutional or a personal public figure account. As always, great to speak to you. Always love your insights and your on the front line tips. So Lucy Cadova, have a great day. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks a lot for having me. It was great talking to you and I'm looking forward to all your new episodes or new projects, there is a new book, I'm definitely buying. <laughs> Thank you and take care. Stay safe. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code socialmedia20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. I'm really on countdown now to the 2021 Public Sector Digital Marketing Summit. It's only nine weeks away and we are finalizing our agenda. We've got some great speakers lined up from Australia, from North America, from Europe, from the UK, and of course, from Ireland. And they're going to share their insights and their case studies with you. How have they managed digital comms through, through COVID? 
What has changed in their organizations? How are they managing social media? And is TikTok a platform for government and public sector? If you want to master the social networks, on day two of the summit, we have a series of practical workshops that you can attend. Tickets are now on sale, so make sure to pick yours up. And remember, when you buy your ticket for the 2021 Public Sector Digital Marketing Summit taking place on the 22nd and 23rd of September, you get access to the content for a full three months. I've got a great free resource for you in this episode. It's the top 10 legal considerations of social media in the workplace. It's a blog post by Irish law firm Ronan Daily German, and I've linked it on the blog associated with this podcast. Just head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash podcast and you'll see it sitting in episode 24. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and other episodes of the Public Sector Marketing Show. I show up consistently every week for you to give you value, free advice, free consulting. So if you do enjoy the shows, I'd really appreciate it if you could share it with a public sector pro that you know, but also become a subscriber on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I will see you on the next episode, episode 25. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.